From DAU, this is Mentoring Circles, the podcast where acquisition professionals can hear and connect with their peers. Oh, hello, everybody. This is Dave Gallup. I want to welcome you to this edition of the Mentoring Circles podcast. Today, we're going to talk about change. And if you're a junior team member in the acquisition workforce, you might feel like you're being whipsawed and pivoted around with all kinds of change. So we're going to talk about how to deal with change and in some circumstances, how to object to change, how to get your voice heard in the change process. With me today, I have Dr. Ann Wong. She's a DAU resident expert in change theory. I also have Dr. Guy Sands. He's a seasoned practitioner. He's worked as an SES and uh, general officer in the Army. So he's going to come at it from both a practitioner perspective and as a, as from a leader perspective. And most importantly, I want to introduce Andrew. He's our guest practitioner. He's he uh, actually offered up uh, this idea for this episode of the podcast. So, Andrew, uh, thank you very much for being on the show. You're welcome. So you had a fabulous question and issue regarding change uh, that you sent into the Mentoring Circles inbox. And anyone that's listening can offer an idea or challenge to mentoring.circles at dau.com edu and and we'll follow up with your idea and andrew you had a great one concerning change would you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself i'm currently a contract administrator with the department of defense and my prior experience is in public accounting and defense contracting thank you andrew and how long have you been in government service can i ask about five years Okay, very good. So you're starting to work your way up into the organization, getting more responsibility, I would assume. And you're not only going to be the person that responds to change, but you'll be implementing change or implementing policies that affect change. So this is fantastic. Would you describe for us your observations of change in the workplace? What's it like How frequent are these changes coming? What are the magnitudes and what other problems do you see with change in the workplace? Well, recently, employees in various Department of Defense agencies, they're seeing significant changes in in taskings, assignments, and work processes since a number of these agencies are implementing all three of these types of changes concurrently. And these employees have never experienced such overwhelming changes. Their reaction is that they have become upset, argumentative, or they just check out when dealing with these events. Yeah, that that, that seems like a, a common occurrence uh, with change in the workplace now. I mean, and is it me or are these changes becoming more frequent and are the responses that Andrew is seeing in the workplace, is is that common and expected? Um, thank you, Dave, and thank you, Andrew. Um, that's a great question. Uh, the observation you have, I think, is absolutely on, on point. We are experiencing a lot more change factors and a lot more things that the DOD is changing you know, across the board. I think that um, a lot of that is driven by the fact that we are faced with 
more information, more data that gives our adversaries as well as ourselves more reasons to enact change because we want to survive and make sure that our national security posture is secure. So that dribbles down, right, to the grassroots where, where we are. You'll find our leaders reacting to implementation of digital engineering or agile mindsets or different acquisition practices. And all that drives what you're seeing right now. I think it's absolutely normal for people to get change placed upon them and have an adverse reaction, especially if that change is not communicated well, if they don't know why. Is that what you see sometimes is is you get these adverse reactions because folks aren't always told why they need to do it? Yes, Anne. I'm, I'm seeing where we're being moved to different programs, different contractors, and we're just being moved to one program or contractor. Then we're being moved to another program or contractor. Then we're being moved back to the original program or contractor. Right, right. And all that's going to breed a frustration, especially if you don't have a North Star to guide you. Right. One of the things that we always say in change management, change leadership, good, successful change can be driven if the, the leadership provides a vision, a place where you can go. A place that, you you know, the, the direction that we're going to go to. When we play sports, we know that that's the goal over there that we want to go to. How we get there, we might need to change our strategies, and that's okay. But if we don't know what our goal is, that really hurts us as a whole. So, you know, going back to Dave's point about, you know, how, how can you get a better reaction to change being placed upon you is to really request, almost demand that leadership over-communicate what their vision is and why it is that you need to go there. And is the secret sauce to all this is, you know, people think of change as being something done to us. And if we can just get get this um, join-in effect to where change is something that we're doing for us, is, is that the secret sauce to this? Yeah, it, it really is. Um, so one of the uh, major factors in good leadership, you know, is attributed to empathy and compassion, right? So so when a leader can put their self, put themselves in um, the shoes of the folks that they're leading and go, well, if I if I enact a change, how is it going to make them feel? Right? And use that that empathy, that compassion to craft the right strategy to approach the folks that work with them and for them. Um, to get that join in that you're talking about, Dave, that's absolutely key. You know, you don't drag someone across the street. You want to you want to join hands with them and lock arms with them and go together to that place. Yeah, that's a great visual. Let me bring Guy into the conversation here for a minute. Guy, can yeah. you tell us a little bit about your career? How did so, you deal with change as a practitioner? You know, it, listening to both Andrew and, and Anne and yourself, so it brings back a couple of things up front and looking at it, looking back to things. The first thing is uh, I now realize change is a constant that it needs to be factored in in every job that we go to. If we go to a new job or if we're uh, somewhere in change is always happening around us. There's new people that come in that affects what, you know, whatever we're doing and the organization and the next thing is that uh, when we realize that nothing is really static because I go into a position, whether it was as a general officer or as a uh, senior executive, and my just going into those positions 
has changed the dynamics of the organization. New personalities, as Anne said, uh, new missions that come up, new ideas that I bring into the organization. And, and, and people can either see it, number one, as a threat uh, and a challenge or an opportunity uh, to, you know, meet uh, new ways of doing things. Over. Great guy. And as a leader, you know, SES and general officer, what did you expect from subordinates like Andrew when when you were implementing a policy of change? I think the first thing is being honest. Uh, you know, it's the, the last thing leaders need is uh, the folks that they're working with and for um, is to sort of do the grovel dance. Uh, it's nice to be told, sir or ma'am. But I think the first thing is be honest and, and be honest with that leader. Here's how they see the organization. Here's how they see the, the challenges. And then from my perspective, make sure I'm listening so that I'm not just going in there and saying, well, this organization uh, has to be changed. You, you've got to be able to make your analysis, uh, but you've got to be able to listen. Over. Yeah, Guy, as a practitioner, let's say, for example, there's a policy that you've implemented and Andrew just believes it's absolutely the wrong change to make. How how could Andrew or someone like Andrew get that message to you without offending like six layers of uh, superiors? Yeah, Dave, and, and for Andrew and Anne. So I've been in situations where uh, you take over as a senior leader, senior officer, and before you ever get in that position, you are given a lot of briefings. Here's what the organization uh, you're taking over. And then the next thing is, here's the challenges you're going to face. And, and it, it, especially if you're a senior executive and you're moving in, many times your superiors or those or supervisors with more stars on their collar than I would have uh, would say, you need to fix this. And then you go to that organization. Everybody is happy to see that you're there. That's the outside, you know, the parameter of it. But then when you're able to go into your office and close the door and start listening to who's there, they may give you a completely different view of that organization. In other words, the, the, the supervisors who told you about that organization may have a completely biased or a different uh, way of looking at it. And then dealing with the bias of the people who are already vested in that organization, and they might see myself coming in as a, as a threat. So again, the honesty and the listening uh, both on both sides, I've got to be honest with them and uh, be able to listen. I think that's the only way we can do it. Over. Yeah, yeah, Guy, I think what you're describing is fairly common, but underused, which is mm. the open door policy of the leader, right? Mm. Um, in many ways, that's a great way to show ground truth of what the change is, whether um, you might have some objection or you might have some information that's not available to the leader, that that open door policy is there, not just for like HR and EEO complaints, but to help mm -hmm. facilitate uh, the, the shared situational awareness 
of what's happening in the organization. Have you had experience with that guy? Uh, yeah, and and so uh, especially the more senior you get up, whether you're in a uniform service <clears throat> or if you're in a civilian, um, what folks in that organization don't know usually is what's told to that incoming leader from their supervisors. And many times uh, it's you need to watch out for so-and-so. They're, they're not on the right track or you need to fix this right away. And now the expectation is that, you know, you need to you, all of a sudden biases are put in your mind about people who may be great, great workers and, and great team members. But for some reason, uh, they have uh, made the opinion of those who are, you know, over that organization in a negative way. So the key point there, how can you turn those negative views of, uh, you know, supervisors or seniors, uh, have them turn around and say, you know what, so-and-so was really a good person. I didn't know that. Now, that's not going to happen overnight, but it's part of becoming part of that organization and then being a champion for it and being an advocate for what it does and how it does it over and as a leader guy you're going to have folks that are going to be immediately on board with change then you're going to have folks that are like on the strong resistance side that you may never actually convince um that to to be on board with the change but there's folks in the middle so as a leader how would you deal with the folks in the middle yeah you know it goes with uh and something i'm sure andrew has seen uh, it, you got to do your di due diligence of research. You got to know about that organization and you need to see it in, in so many different facets, both the internal side, the external, and then be able to, to sort of ask external stakeholders or external uh, individuals to see who are, you know, they're the ones who are the customers. How are we performing and what do you think? And and some of that is risk. You you, know, you almost you don't want to burn off a customer, uh, but you want to be able to see what they have seen the organization do, and if there's ways to change it. And I'd like to bounce it back to Andrew and and Anne uh, on what they think. Over. And is there anything in change theory about folks that are in the middle and how to how to bring them on board to change? Um, de definitely in, in frameworks, right? So when we talk about, say, for example, the Cotter framework, um, while not directly addressing the middle per se, you know, Cotter says, look for um, champions who will speak your vision for you, with you. So they're not always listening to the one person at the top, you know, expounding on this vision all the time. And then from the from the um, champion perspective, gather that coalition around you and then gather that volunteer army. So so if you think about like a political movement, right, you have someone who's got a spark and they gather their allies around them and then they go from state to state and they gather allies in the state. And next thing you know, there's some person, you know, Joe Smith is knocking on someone's door. And so you proliferate through that middle. Right. But it's it's definitely involvement. Like you have to get people activated and involved in doing something with with their bodies, minds, and hearts to really get that change ingrained. So I'd like to actually take a break. Break. Could I go back to um, Andrew's original question for a second? Sure. Okay. So you know, um, Andrew, you were talking about you know the folks around you 
are frustrated and, and what might they do to, to voice their concerns and all. And I'm going to kind of go 360, right? So when one person, when a person wants to uh, voice their concerns, they're putting themselves at a little bit of a risk because they're sticking their neck out there. And I think that when you're ready to do that, you have to kind of just accept that that's going to happen. You're going to try to minimize your risk, right? So I would recommend a person in that position to look for allies. I'm fr- I have a message. I'm frustrated at the this pace of this work, all, all this changes going around me. Look for your allies that you can talk to, right? Look for the folks that um, that will listen to you and that will help maybe um, take your message and resonate with the people you actually want to get to if you yourself cannot get to those messages. Sometimes, if it's possible, it helps to package your concern with the potential solution or set of solutions so that you're also trying to um, influence the way that resolution might come about, right? And also realize Dave was talking about the empathy, change being done with you, the join in. Um, As folks that are, you know, the change is done to us, we also have to practice empathy on the flip side and go, well, if we were in our leader's shoes, what are they seeing above them, the pressures that they're experiencing that maybe we don't know about? What could they be that's causing them to drive to, have them tell us to do these things. They might not be telling us to do these things in the most ideal way, but what is their reason? And and when when you put your empathy in that pot, then that can help in the way that a person in a frustrated position who's at the grassroots level might um, communicate their concerns, right? So so uh, just just a little bit of advice because I think you bring up a very interesting conflict. Right. You, you don't necessarily you're not in a position of influence and power necessarily, but you certainly have a point of view that's valid and it needs to be heard. I, I hope that helps. So, Anne, just to read back what I think I heard here, uh, certainly one voice is loud, but three voices is louder. Uh, and when you join together with others that might have the same perspective, it adds more credibility to your position and even more credibility if you come with a, a reasonable solution to the to the change problem. Uh, and then one of the key things is understanding what pressures are coming down from above your leader to the leader that's causing this change in the first place. So I think that's that's a that those are very important points. Did I get them all? That was awesome, Dave. Thank you. So. Andrew, let's go ahead and pass it over to you uh, for any follow-up questions you might have for Anne and Guy. I know you talked about the person in the middle, but what about the person who's just won't accept the change, who's just totally entrenched that they don't want to change and they're just totally checked out and disengaged? How do you handle someone like that? And why don't you go take a crack at that and then we'll go to Guy. It, that's that's a huge dilemma that happens in every organization, right, a- Andrew? So, you know, the, to me, there's a, a path, a spectrum, right? A, a good leader should follow. And one, again, is to practice that empathy. Whether change is being done to you or done, for, you know, wh- whatever that is, empathy. So ask, ask that person, you know, what what is preventing you from, uh, what is causing this resistance what is um, on your mind? How can we help? And if they say, well, it's because I'm worried about this or I don't understand this, one tries their very best to, 
to clear up the clear the air, to answer the questions, to provide if they're looking for tools, because maybe you know, people um, act differently and, and understand things differently. Some folks, if you just answer their questions, they're good with it. But other folks, maybe in order to do the new change, they actually prefer a tool. They actually need a new uh, a thing. And maybe that's what you need to provide them to help them along with on this change journey. Now, when one has exhausted those types of things, then the proof is in the question, you know, that person has to reflect if the organization is right for them anymore. And that's an okay question to ask. It's absolutely realistic. We're not always going to fit where we're planted. And sometimes we have to go and, and use our talents elsewhere. So um, it's a hard call sometimes, but if you've done everything you can for them and practice that empathy, and at the end they still don't want to go, then it's time to find perhaps a new place. Guy, how have you dealt with resistors in your organizations? Yeah, and and you 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 gave a perfect scenario. The only problem is uh, rarely do the perfect scenarios go because what we might find is someone if you even suggest to them that maybe it's time for, you know, to use your talents in another another way, um the next thing that could happen is that you're running up against, you know, the mechanisms that are in place to protect those people, the EEO office, you know, diversity, because people see it as a threat to them. Uh, so what we've seen many times is that leaders do several things. Well, the first thing is uh, don't touch that person, you know, sort of go around it and whatever else that so it's not going to splash back at, at you as a leader. That doesn't really work too well because in the end, splashback will will seep up somewhere. The second side is, yes, to try to continue to use that person and maybe give them new opportunities, new, new challenges. Um, and what happens then sometimes is that you wind up promoting them out <laughs> just as a way of saying, well, at least that person is no longer a part of us. And that's what they sort of were looking for, a promotion of some sort. And then you have the third point where it's a sort of a um, merging of those two options. And it's it's basically telling them as honestly as possible, this is not the right place for you. And being able to take the challenge there. But before you do that, you need to be able to line everything up speak with those people that are, you know, working with them, uh, maybe their line of supervisors. And honestly, you know, it, it's, a, it's a risk to leaders nowadays, it, it, you know, to be able to, you know, voice that. Not everyone is going to uh, accept change, and that goes what we're talking about. And after a point, whatever that point is, six months, maybe even a year, if they're not able to accept the change that is uh, mandated for that organization to survive, then that person really needs to make a tough decision for themselves. And that's not the decision that is tough for the leadership to make. And uh, and as you say, Anne and Andrew, those individuals need to accept uh, a way uh, of changing themselves at that point. Over. And you had a follow-up thought? I do. Um, Guy made some excellent points that I want him to resonate and package just a slightly different way. You know, that that last scenario that you laid out, Guy, I th think is very key is, you know, when I when I when I previously talked about 
maybe this is not the right place for you. It could be a conversation that one has directly with that person. It depends on the relationship and, and the situation. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, you do want to have them self-reflect, right? You don't want mm-hmm. to put, they need to, like you said, um, find and discover for themselves what their right path is. And as good leaders and as good folks supporting, uh, uh, coach leaders, right? Leaders, enablers, as uh, as leaders, as coaches and enablers, we want to provide them the best possible landing spot. We're not giving up on them, right? Mm-hmm. What we're doing mm-hmm. is trying to um, say, you know, um, l- let us help you in other ways. So continue to practice empathy and compassion across the whole yeah. spectrum if possible. Yeah. So l- let me try and wrap up uh, I think what we've heard and and Andrew tell me if I've accurately captured this, you know, the whole idea of change is something we have to deal with and we're going to have to be dealing with more of it coming more frequently than ever before for many different reasons. The The key, one of the keys to dealing with change is communication, whether it's top down or bottom up, that flow of communication has to happen. Um, We have to place ourselves in others' shoes. If we're the person uh, making the change, we need to be empathetic to the folks that have to live with the change. If you're the person that has to live with the change, you need to be empathetic with your leadership and, again, communicate and work together uh, to make the change right. Not every change goes off without a hitch change change is often flawed and we have a responsibility whether it's leaders or subordinates to identify those flaws and offer corrective actions so andrew did did this help in your search for a way forward with change yes and you summarized it perfectly dave great i would just offer one other idea It's from uh, Dr. Zoe Chance at Yale. Uh, She says that there's a magic question uh, when you want to have someone uh, accept change. And and I've kind of walked around with it in my back pocket for some time. And that magic question is, what would it take? What would it take for you to get on board with this change? And that often opens up doors and ideas that you may not have seen as a leader or um, perspective offered uh, from a subordinate. So uh, keep that in your back pocket. Um, with that, folks, I want to thank our guests, Dr. Ann Wong, Dr. Guy Sands, Andrew, who is our practitioner from the field that offered this fantastic idea for us for this podcast. This concludes the Prepare to Pivot episode of Mentoring Circle series. If you're a member of the acquisition workforce, yes, you can get continuing learning credit for this. Uh, send an email to mentoring.circles at dau.edu. Tell me that you uh, that you listen to this podcast and offer up an idea for a future podcast. In return for those two things, I will send you a certificate from one CLP that is proof of attendance. You can apply that certificate and CLP to your supervisor for one CLP. It's not automatic. Again, I want to thank you, our guests and our listeners for joining us on this podcast. I hope you tune in to future podcasts. Thank you very much.